When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. Welcome to episode 120. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson. On this episode, I step in for my wonderful partner in crime, Steph, and chat with the ever-versatile historian Heather R. Darcy about the first wife of Henry VIII, Catherine of Aragon. But before we jump into that, a very warm welcome to my newest patrons, Jessica V., Katie J., and Shelly F. A big thanks to Teresa L. and Kathy D. for increasing their pledges. Thank you, guys. I'd also like to tell Valerie C. and Cindy M. how grateful I am for their generosity. They know why. Now to my existing patrons, thank you so much for sticking with me through this journey through history. I wouldn't be doing this without your support. If you love this podcast and the content I provide, please consider becoming a patron. You can do so at Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudor's Dynasty. Now go there, click become a patron, and you can see all the options and what you'll receive in return. All right, now it's time for Ask the Expert and for Heather R. Darcy to answer your questions on Catherine of Aragon. And now, Ask the Expert. Welcome back to Ask the Expert. Today we are joined by author and historian Heather R. Darcy. Heather, welcome back. Hey, hey, how are you? We're always so excited to have you on the show. And today we get to talk about uh, a subject maybe I haven't covered very much on this podcast. That's Catherine of Aragon. Tell us a little bit about your experience maybe with Catherine. Well, I am slowly starting my fourth book, which is about Catherine of Aragon. And it concentrates on her, a little bit of her family background and also her, as much of her young life as we can do, which realistically that's buried in the actions of her parents because being a princess, their lives weren't very heavily recorded as a prince might have been. And going up until right around the birth of Mary, and, and there'll be a little bit more about her life after that, but really starting at the birth of Mary. And that is being published, I think, in 2023. So I am starting to concentrate, shift away from Anna of Cleves, although I am finishing up book two and shifting more towards Catherine of Aragon. I think that's great because Catherine is one of those that I, I think many of us believe who she doesn't get enough attention. So I'm very grateful that you are studying her a little bit more. But before we get into the listener questions, can you give us just a brief, maybe, recap um, of Arthur and Catherine and maybe when they were betrothed and when they were married? Catherine of Aragon and Prince Arthur were betrothed in the 1490s. They did correspond with each other in Latin, which was their only common language. And then she finally arrived in England in 
I believe it was late 1501, and they were wed in 1501. They were married for about six months before Arthur's untimely death. So are you telling us, and I'm going to giggle a little bit because obviously I know the answer, but are, are you telling us that um, it wasn't Henry that actually wrote those letters to Catherine like the Spanish princess wants us to believe? With the caveat that I've never watched the Spanish princess because I was unimpressed with what I was reading online about it, I Henry would not have had any reason to correspond with Catherine. We have to keep in mind that Catherine was six years older than him. He was born in 1491, so he was he was but a wee lad when Catherine wed his older brother, Arthur. Okay, so now moving on to the listener questions. Katie Ray wants to know why Henry VII kept Catherine in England after Arthur died. Henry VII, famously being a miser, did not want to have to give her dowry back. So he had received, I think it was half of the amount that he was supposed to from Spain. I want to say it was around 100,000 100, pounds, I believe. And if he would have sent Catherine back, he would have had to repay all that money, which he did not want to do. Also, he had an extra son. And of course, we have the unfortunate death of Elizabeth of York just a couple of years after the death of Arthur Tudor. And so there was a time where... I don't think there was ever a genuine consideration of Henry VII marrying Catherine, but that, of course, would have been a possibility. And we do know that he did attempt to marry Catherine's older sister, Juana, after Juana was widowed. But ultimately, it was a money issue. If he sends back Catherine of Aragon, then he has to pay back all this money to Ferdinand. Now, Nancy Buchanan brings up a, a question that I think is often disputed or debated online or in discussions on whether or not it's possible that Henry VII told Arthur and Catherine not to consummate the marriage due to their age. Can you enlighten us on that at all? He did, and it was more so advising Arthur not to and and asking that Arthur's attendants try and discourage the behavior because of Arthur's delicate health. So when they, when Catherine and Arthur were married, originally Arthur was supposed to be sent off to the Welch Marshes, I believe, and... Henry VII did not want Catherine to go with him. And I think some of that had to do with maybe making sure that the full monies were paid to Henry VII. But ultimately, yes, it is true that Arthur was initially discouraged from consummating his marriage to Catherine. I don't know how much it directly had to do with age because they were of an appropriate age for the time period. But yes, that is true. Now, with that being said, I, I know this is going to be a difficult question to answer, but Doug Breeden wants to know if Catherine could have lied about her and Arthur not consummating the relationship. Oh, absolutely. But there was a papal dispensation given. So even if they would have consummated the marriage in the sense that we think of with being, you know, caught in flagrante delicto or whatever, it didn't matter because the Pope, who was, of course, the representative of God on earth, said, nope, they never did it. It's fine. She's basically a virgin. Or she is not even basically. She is a virgin. So I, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Same thing with Anna of Cleves as she consummated her marriage with Henry. It's just what we really have to look at is what were the legal things that happened. So legally, Catherine was declared a virgin, more or less, or was declared not to have consummated her marriage with Arthur by the Pope. And that's the bit that matters. Same thing with Anna, who, you know, I love to bring her up, but on paper, she and Henry had never consummated their marriage. This is just one of those subjects that we could debate forever and never find out the truth. No, there's no way to know. No, 
Uh, we can, unless you can travel back in time <laughs> and witness. It'd be a creepy fly on the wall. Right. And I don't think that would be cool. No. <laughs> now, Dalton Kinsley wants to know, we're kind of going to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, Arthur's sister, Arthur and Henry's sister, Margaret Tudor. Now, Dalton wants to know if Catherine was close with Margaret, and then he also wants to know why did she have no remorse after the Battle of Flodden, referring to Catherine. There's far more documentary evidence of Catherine interacting with Henry's little sister, Mary. Henry's older sister, Margaret, was only at court for another couple of years beyond Catherine arriving in England, and so... If they did have a close relationship, there's not much documentary evidence of it. Also, I don't know why Catherine would have wanted to keep up correspondence with Margaret when Margaret could have just as easily communicated with her brother, the king. And then concerning why didn't Catherine have any remorse, we don't know if she did or not. It's difficult overall to judge people's feelings 500 years later, and especially because usually the only information we have about someone's feelings are the written documentation of an observer and not of the person themselves. So it's not, if if Catherine of Aragon kept any kind of diary, it has long since been lost. And I don't think she did. I'm just saying in general, we don't have a lot of documentary evidence of feelings. It could also be her outward display was to show that she was this triumphant, victorious warrior queen, if you will, like her mother, Isabella, But maybe she was really upset behind closed doors. We just don't know. And unfortunately, again, with the did they or didn't they of Catherine of Aragon and Arthur Tudor, there's no way to know. Okay, so moving on then on Flodden, Michelle T. wants to know if Henry VIII was jealous of Catherine's success at Flodden while he was away fighting in France. That's another one of those feelings questions that are really, really difficult to discern 500 years later. The answer is, I don't think there's a way of knowing unless there's some sort of report specifying how Henry felt. And I don't believe that there is anything along those lines that exists to today. One thing that I'm curious about or that I think about when it comes to the relationship of Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII is Catherine of Aragon, she kind of had a rebellious streak in her and she didn't always do what her father Ferdinand, who of course is far away in Spain, wanted her to do. And if Henry observed any of that while he's watching Catherine grow up and he himself is growing up, he might have liked that strong rebellious streak in her. I also don't know why Henry would be jealous if the joint objective is to win the battle, as it were. That's what she did. And I don't I don't know why he would be jealous of that unless he saw that as a greater military victory than anything that he ever achieved but when we look at his later life he's more relishes his glory days battling over in france than he does regretting that he wasn't there to kill his brother-in-law yeah i you know it's it's it it is one of those things where if you want to read between the lines and try to predict what somebody was feeling that you know henry liked to have the attention and the attention was taken away from him we don't know that's definitely one of those things that we don't know now henry and catherine were married in 1509 yes and al pratt wants to know if it's true that their marriage was called into question by queen isabella even before henry had started the annulment process i don't know how that would be possible because i assume by queen isabella he's referring to catherine of aragon's mother who died years before catherine and henry were even married interesting 
So maybe it's just a misunderstanding of the timeline, or it could be a confusion with historical fiction, too, because we have so many um, historical fiction books and series happening right now that I think are muddying the lines of history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. Did it show in The Spanish Princess that Isabella lived for a long time? Oh, I don't know that. Isabella died, I think, in late 1504. And so, and Henry and Catherine didn't marry until the spring of 1509. Yeah, I want to say they had her die in an appropriate timeline. I don't think they had her living longer than usual. Okay. But along the same line, Samantha Dillon wants to know, why didn't Catherine's Spanish family do more for her when Henry started the annulment process? Ultimately, I think that Charles V did everything he could. We have to keep in mind that her sister, Juana, who had gone mad for whatever reason by the time the annulment process started, was queen in name only she didn't have any real function as a monarch because she had been put away in around 1515 to 1519 and she had withdrawn herself from court as well so really all you have is charles v who is catherine varagon's nephew and i'm not sure what else he was supposed to do he wound up capturing the pope which in theory should have prevented the the annulment from going through the only other thing that Charles V could have done that I can conceive of is start a war with Henry. And he was already, excuse me, Charles V was already trying to keep control over his German estates and fight off the Turkish threat from the east. I don't know that having a war in England just to keep his aunt on the throne would have been worth it. Plus, what Henry did was completely unimaginable. Un- unimaginable. So I think that... Charles V did everything that he could and probably was in the best position to do as much as he did rather than if Catherine had been, let's say, a French princess. I don't know that the that Francis I would have had a really good way of uh, capturing the Pope. Well, you mentioned Juana, who is always an interesting subject to discuss, and the Tudor age wanted to know if there was any evidence to show how Catherine felt about her sister and their relationship, and also, did she have any concerns about Juana's marriage to Philip? So what kind of relationship did Catherine and Juana have, and did Catherine have any concerns or feelings about Juana and Philip's relationship? Again, unfortunately, these are feelings-type questions, and to an extent, we just don't know. Uh, To put things in context, Catherine was about 10 when Juana married Philip, and don't know why a 10 year old would have recorded their feelings at that time period. And if she did, it would be lost. And as far as their relationship goes, Juana was the older sister. Catherine was 10 when her sister moved away. I don't know how much of a relationship they really had. Yeah. Unless there's letters to tell us what happened. There's really no evidence that it's hard to answer a question like that. Yeah. Well, and the Catherine and Henry certainly seemed happy when Philip and Juana accidentally landed on their shores, but I don't know how much that shows good evidence of Juana and Catherine having a great relationship so much as, hey, sister, I haven't seen you in forever. Because we have to keep in mind that when women were married, they frequently were shipped off to different countries or different parts of their country, never to see their family again. And so even then, if there's anecdotes from when Philip and Juana landed in uh, England by accident, we don't know how much that shows a genuine 
filial bond so much as how exciting it would be for Catherine to see her sister, especially having been left in England for a few years at this point in limbo. Okay, now moving on then to Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragon's daughter, Mary. Do we have any idea what Catherine's relationship with Mary was like? In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. We know that they loved each other very, very much. And I think that the most evidence of that comes from when Catherine is sent away from court and Mary is forced to effectively cease all contact with her mother. It was a huge strain on the two of them. And that that is probably the most evidence that we have. Catherine did seem to be as involved as a queen could expect to be involved in the upbringing of a princess. And so it seems that she did have a very strong relationship with Mary. Additionally, when we look to Mary, when she becomes queen of England, she has a very strong connection to her Spanish heritage, or at least is very proud of her Spanish heritage. And she does things that seem to harken back to Catherine of Aragon. So again, this is kind of more the anecdotal stuff where you have to read between the lines a bit. But it does seem that the two had a strong bond. As far as involvement, that's unclear. But they did appear to have a very strong bond. I am curious, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but what kind of things would Catherine have taught her? Are we talking like needlework and stuff like that, or was it something maybe bigger? Again, difficult to know exactly, but I think needlework would have been something Spanish language, probably. I think that Catherine, being a very, 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 very Catholic woman, would have made sure that her daughter was also very, very Catholic. So these questions came from Crystalline, and she also wanted to know, how would things have been different for Catherine if she hadn't put up a fight over the annulment? I'm guessing that Catherine would have been able to retire to a monastery. And women who were wealthy that retired to monasteries, they lived within the walls of the monastery, but they were allowed to leave and come and go. And so it was kind of almost like a retirement community in some ways for, for wealthier noble women. As far as what happened with Mary, I think Mary would have had a much nicer upbringing at court. However, I don't know that ultimately things would have proceeded differently. So as far as the succession after Henry VIII and having Edward and then Mary and then Elizabeth as the the Tudor monarchs, it's possible that, well, I guess the biggest thing is there wouldn't have been an English Reformation because there wouldn't have been a reason for Henry to break away from the Catholic Church. And so that would have wildly changed things. And Mary, I'll I'll retract my prior statement as far as the succession goes, because I suppose we don't know at this point, but Mary might have even been married off to a Catholic prince and Henry might have stayed Catholic. So really, we'd like to blame the Reformation on Henry VIII's lust for Anne Boleyn, but some of it needs to be blamed on Catherine of Aragon's obstinacy whether right or wrong, however you view it, and her unwillingness to allow Henry to annul the marriage. I'm going to throw in an Anna question here to kind of mix it in, but do you think she kind of learned a little bit from Catherine's experience with the annulment? Did she know? I mean, as far as, you know, she came into the picture, what, a decade and a half, two decades later, did she know exactly? I would assume she knew what happened. And do you think that that helped in the course of her future and the decisions that she made? I don't know. What I can say is that while Henry's actions were not unfamiliar to 
the court at the United Duchies, nobody knew about Anne Boleyn. That's one thing. They knew that Henry was trying to end his marriage. And at one point, Anna's father sent Henry a letter saying, hey, how about my son marries your daughter and you can marry one of my other two daughters because it wasn't widely known in the United Duchies that Anne Boleyn was kind of waiting in the wings. And so while they knew about the annulment, they might not have known exactly what was happening with it. As far as Anna's actions, I think that that was more clever self-preservation rather than it was her thinking about Catherine of Aragon. Okay. And the last question for today came from Denise Wards, and she wants to know, Heather, can you give us some of the positive details of Catherine's life rather than focusing on the hardships and sorrows? So what can you tell us on a positive note about Catherine? I think she was very independent-minded, or at least as much as she could be for being a late medieval, early Renaissance queen. She her sister Juana is considered to be one of the, I think, the last medieval queen of Spain. So that's why I'm kind of couching it that way. And as we might all recall, the Renaissance started at different times in different areas of Western Europe. And she was a bit petulant as a teenager in England. But that shows a great sense of independence, I think, for the time period. And of course, she really did kick some butt at the Battle of Flodden. That's a big deal. And regardless of how Henry felt about it, that was fabulous. That was that was a coup. She did a great job. She was very proud of her daughter. It's unfortunate that she went through so many stillbirths and early deaths of her of her babies, but she was very proud of her daughter. She seemed to carry out the duties of being a queen in as ideal of a fashion as she could have. And I think that that's one thing she has over all of Henry's wives is that she was perhaps the best qualified and the best at acting as a queen. So I think that, and she was resilient. She was queen of England for over 20 years. And that's a fabulous achievement. She was a fixture in England and it really was a big deal when talk of the annulment came about because there are a lot of people who really did love Catherine of Aragon and didn't want to have a new queen because they had a perfectly good one. Why did they need a new one? And I often wonder too, if maybe Jane Seymour tried to model herself a little bit after Catherine as well. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. And especially because she had close contact with Anne and I believe also with Catherine, she kind of got a feel for what Henry liked in advance, if you will. Yeah, and those Seymours sure know how to to work a situation to their advantage, too. Oh, don't they? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming on today. Today is probably like episode 24 for you. Probably. That's all right. I'm always happy to be here. And you know what? I'm really looking forward to talking more about Catherine of Aragon as time goes by. Like I said, I still have Anna Cleves and her family kind of in the forefront of my head because I'm finishing up book two. But um, I'm looking forward to discussing Catherine of Aragon with you much, much more in uh, in the coming years if if we're so lucky. Yes, uh, we cannot wait for that. But in the meantime, remind everybody where they can find you and your books. Yes. So I have the blog maidensandmanuscripts.com. I'm also on Facebook under Heather R. Darcy Historian. I'm on Twitter 
at HR Darcy History, and I'm on Instagram at H Darcy History. I forgot the R on Instagram. I don't know why. I will say I am a bit more active on Twitter and Instagram these days. And then, of course, there's my first book, Anna, Duchess of Cleves, The King's Beloved Sister, the very first book written about Anna, researched and written from the German perspective. And it helps her life in the end of her marriage make a heck of a lot more sense. And then my second book, Children of the House of Cleves, Anna and Her Siblings, should be out right around May of 2022. And if you have yet to purchase Heather's book on Anna of Cleves, please do, because I just want to tell you from my own experience, it is going to open your eyes to another side of history and give you more information to make your own decisions. So Heather, you did such a great job on your research on that book. I want everybody to read it. Yes. Thank you very much. So, Well, it's been a pleasure and uh, until next time. And that concludes this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please show your support by leaving a review wherever you listen. Reviews are some of the greatest gifts that you can leave a podcaster because it suggests their show to people who may not have even known it existed. So thank you so much for your support. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening.